Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Heroes of Faith, recorded Sunday, May 30th, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Dan with today's message. What we know about this weekend is that we have a lot of chance to be with family. Uh, for most of us, it means maybe an extra day off. Uh, but at the core, Memorial Day, uh, its purpose is to celebrate and remember those who have given their lives for the purpose of freedom. And that happens in a lot of different ways. Uh, people who stepped up and stepped in because they believed in something so much that they were willing to put life on hold and to answer the call to serve. Uh, our country calls these people heroes, and for me personally, and I, I think as a whole, we simply say thank you uh, to people who have uh, served, uh, to loved ones who have gone on before us. We recognize that we are who we are in part because of uh, those heroes that have gone before us. We recognize that our lives would look a lot different if it weren't for people who were willing to lay it all on the line for freedom. Uh, growing up, speaking of heroes, I had several who I thought were pretty great heroes. When I was real young, it was Flash Gordon. I don't know if anyone else is in that camp with me, but Flash was all that there was. Uh, I've seen the movie as an adult, and I know it's a terrible movie, but as an eight-year-old, I think my friend Corey and I kept them afloat financially because we just kept going and going. We couldn't get enough of it. And as we got a little bit older, it turned to screen heroes like Rambo and John McClane, and no one compared with Indiana Jones if you're my age. Uh, and as I got a little bit older and I paid a little bit more attention to sports, uh, there were basically two people in the category. Uh, whoever was the eye back, not the running back, right? Whoever was the eye back for the Huskers that year and Magic Johnson. Uh, looking back, I realized that all of these heroes, they were either fictional characters or people who represented something that I could never attain to. And so uh, uh, as I got even uh, into those teenage and young adult years, I started to realize that there were several people in my life uh, that really did live up to the word hero. And none of those heroes uh, achieved their status because of their abilities on a field or a court or their starring role in the latest action flick. Uh, they were my heroes because of how they lived out their faith in Jesus and how they encouraged me to do the same. And so people like my parents and my older brothers and then I had this youth minister that just would not give up on me. As I tried to push him away and, and push God away, he just kept meeting me for breakfast and talking about life and encouraging me to follow the lead of the people in my life who had set that example for me. See, my truest and best heroes earned that title because they were people of faith who encouraged me to be one as well. So I started looking up what some people who have pretended to be heroes over the years, what they have to say about heroism. Christopher Reeve, who played Superman, said, a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere in spite of overwhelming circumstances. Tom Hanks, who uh, was in Saving Private Ryan and lots of other hero movies, said a hero is somebody who voluntarily walks into the unknown. 
Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man himself, said, I think that we all do heroic things, but a hero is not a noun, it's a verb. And if you're an English teacher, you may want to argue with that and say it's really a noun. Uh, but what he's saying, there's some truth to it. It's about what we do. And then maybe not someone who played a superhero, but might be a hero to a few of you. Bob Dylan said this, a hero is someone who understands the responsibility that comes with freedom. And we celebrate that as a country. More importantly, we celebrate that as the kingdom of God, that we are a people who understand that we have freedom and there's a responsibility that comes with that. And so I want to achieve three things today. First, uh, I want to talk about how we honor our heroes lowercase lower h. And then uh, the fact that we worship our hero, Jesus, all caps, hero above heroes. And then third, we live to point others to Jesus as their hero. Uh, we're going to be in Hebrews 11 and James chapter 2 if you want to open up to those. Hebrews 11 lays out for us a long list of people who were called heroes. People who accepted the call of God to move not just a nation, but really a whole planet towards ultimate freedom. And we refer to these people as, as heroes of faith. And here's how the chapter begins, speaking of that word faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And we're not going to take the time to read through that whole chapter this morning, but I do want to talk about the pattern that we see written about these people. You see, chapter 11 mentions this whole list of over a dozen people who are commendable because of their faith. It lists Enoch and Abel and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And you might remember some of those if you've been around here for a while when we went through the book of Genesis. And then it mentions Rahab and Moses and all the people that followed his lead. And then the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, I don't even have enough time to tell you about people like Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all of the prophets. But if you look at verse 24 and following, we see the general pattern of what this writer says about these people. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. And then this next sentence really grabs my attention. It says, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ 2,000 years earlier as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking forward to his reward. And sometimes I read that and I was talking with someone in between services and it's like Moses had this idea about a savior. We have the name. And I struggle so often to step into that role of worshiping and serving and understanding what that looks like. Here's the pattern we see with all of these heroes. They believed, but it did not stop as a mental exercise. They did something as a result. And that's true of all heroes. 
If someone believes that something's a good idea, but they don't take any steps towards it, they're not a hero. They're just someone who thought something. Their belief led them to live in radically different ways than the rest of the world. I want to take just a couple minutes to delve into a little bit of sociology so that we can have a greater understanding of what the early followers of Jesus, as well as the writers of Scripture, had in mind with a couple of words that we use a lot. I don't know if this bores you to death and you're like, oh, here goes school again. I took several sociology classes in college, some of them more than once. And so over the years, I've grown to gain an understanding and, and an appreciation for what that's about. Sociology is uh, simply the study of the development, structure, and functioning of human society. And at this time in history, one of the biggest social constructs was something called the patron-client system. And it was a major practice throughout the Mediterranean world. And early Christians and writers of scripture would have been very familiar with it. And here's the basics of it. 2% of the people owned everything. They had all the wealth. They had the resources, they had the legal power, the political power, they had it all. And we referred, they referred to these people as patrons. And almost everyone else fell into the category called clients. A client didn't have anything on their own. They were really bankrupt. But they had a patron over them. See, a patron would take clients under their wing and supply them with everything they need. And the reason they would do this wasn't because they felt sorry for them. It's because in their culture, honor was way more important than money. And so the more clients that you had depending on you, the more honor that would come to your name. And they would do this uh, to gain that honor. They would provide support for their family financially. They would provide medical care and employment and legal protection. And understand this, everything that a patron would provide for their client, it fell under the category of this one word, and I'm going to mispronounce it, but the Greek word is charis. And from that word is where we get the, the English word grace. And so a patron is providing grace for all of their clients. Uh, a client would receive this grace, but something was given in exchange. See, a client would align themselves with their patron in every way possible. They would strive to make their name more famous. If they saw them in the streets, they would shout great things toward their patron. If their patron was seeking political office, his clients would be his chief campaigners. And when other client friends were looking for a patron of their own, your responsibility would be to say, you, sh you, should, you should consider my patron. He's so good, and he takes so much care of us. And all of these actions of the client towards their patron, they were known by another Greek word uh, pronounced pistis. And from that word, we translate that into English as faith. And so faith was not just thinking something grand about your patron, it was doing something with it. See, faith was never meant to be a passive state of being or a mental exercise. By definition, it's an active verb. It doesn't just stay in your mind. It travels through your heart and ultimately into your hands and your feet 
and your vocabulary, it changes your actions. If you don't get anything else from this today, please walk away with this. Jesus is your patron. Jesus owns it all. And he has given to us what we need. Most importantly, what we need spiritually in forgiveness. Every religion in the world is focused on this question. How do we get up the mountain to where God is? Christianity is the only religious system in the world that believes that we don't have to do that because Jesus came down the mountain to us. Jesus was doing just fine sitting sitting next to God the Father. But because God so loved the world, he put glory on hold uh, to go on the greatest, most important mission of all time. See, the beauty and truth of Christianity is that he is accessible to us. John 1 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The message translation puts it this way. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And that is good news for us. Jesus is our patron, and he has given us what we need. Ephesians 4 says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And when he ascended into heaven, he led a train of captives to be in the presence of God. You see, we honor the little H heroes in our world, whether from thousands of years ago or during our own lifetime, but we reserve our worship and our faith for Jesus our patron, and our hero, and our king. And so with that in mind, turning your Bible a few pages to the right, James chapter 2, and understanding those words grace and faith a little bit more, listen to these words beginning in verse 14. James writes, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give anything to that person. What good does it do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone might argue some people have faith and other people have good deeds. You might say, well, I'll go worship, but I'll let other people serve. I'll let other other people be those heroes to to people who don't know Jesus yet. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith for you believe, right? This mental exercise, you believe that there is one God. Well, good for you. Even the demons believe that and they tremble in terror. How foolish can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? If you've been around the church as long as I have, you might remember this one line from uh, a song that, uh, that I really enjoyed anyway that said, faith without works is about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. And that's good for a little bit of a chuckle, but there's a lot of truth to it too, right? Like water's just going to get on the boat. Faith without works is useless to us. Don't misunderstand this. Grace is grace. It is un, 
merited favor. It's free. And it's not conditional. But if it's rightly understood and rightly received, it will result in a changed life focus. Knowing that we have such a good patron, we understand that our role, even 2,000 years later, is that of client. And as a result of grace that we have been given or apportioned, we dedicate ourselves to growing and expanding faith. The grace of God takes us from a life focus that's all about me and mine and focuses it on his glory and his kingdom. It becomes about him and his glory and his fame. And maybe the best word for us to really wrap our minds around that idea of faith is fidelity. We're true to him. He gets our everything. Not just Sundays. He gets our Mondays and our Wednesdays and our Friday nights. He gets it all. And for some people, it changes what we do with our lives. A lot of our staff here at the church are simply people like me who grew up being trained to do something different than we're doing now. But grace got a hold of us, and we saw how God might be able to use some of our skills and gifts to, to help lead a church, and so we do that. Uh, Nick Gaddy in Broken Bow is a great example of that. Nick was an electrician who was doing fine, raising two little boys with his wife. And at some point, the grace that he had seen in his life turned him towards ministry. And it's fun to see him grow in that and lead a church in Broken Bow that's starting to look a lot like this church. For a lot of other people, it, it just changes the why of what you do, what you do. Teachers and doctors and nurses and contractors and delivery drivers and mechanics and salespeople and HR professionals and principals and office staff, music teachers, CEOs, coaches, restaurant workers, and bankers. What I loved about the ministry that I did at Christian Student Fellowship was that it was preparing people to go into all these walks of life. Because our church and his kingdom are most effective when we all take ownership of our role as ministers of the gospel, as clients who simply strive to make his name famous. One of my favorite people in the world is a contractor here who has 15 or 20 employees, and the company does really great work, but probably the, the best work taking place there is that this guy is consistently and constantly pointing workers towards Jesus and inviting them to be here on Sundays or Wednesdays. And there's so many similar stories like that here. Over the years, several of you have held up cardboard signs uh, at the end of our Rooted Celebration that talk about how your life is being changed. And it starts with, uh, I was... And then the other side of the card says, now I am. And here's just a few that I read through this week. Uh, I was reckless and sinful. Now I'm redeemed and determined. I was aware, now I'm present. I was lost, now I found God and myself. I was judged and guilty. Now I'm forgiven and freed. I was shamed, selfish, and alone, and now I'm confident, 
humbled, and loved. I was stuck spiritually. Now I'm growing in my faith. And I was a believer. Now I'm a follower. I believe this to be the truth. When the grace and truth of Jesus takes root in your heart, the result is a changed heart and a purpose-filled future. We really do move from being a believer to being a follower of Jesus. James then, in in chapter 2, moves on and he speaks specifically of two heroes of faith. In, In verse 21, he says, Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. And so you see, when we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them away Uh, safely by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. I love the choice of the two people that James uses there, and I don't think it's an accident. And first he says, Abraham, well thought of, wealthy, had plenty of land. Historians would brag about him as the father of their nation. Then he switches his attention to Rahab. First of all, a woman. Ladies, please understand, no one has done more for women than Jesus. He took you from a place of being property, second grade citizens, if citizens at all, and he made you beautiful, wonderful messengers of God and his grace. And I'm so excited for about 200 of you who this summer are going to go through the Jesus and women study Uh, because it's going to change so much of how you view what Jesus taught and what he did. And you'll come to a better understanding of who you are in Christ. Rahab was disgraced because of her profession and her gender. She's probably not mentioned often by proud Jewish historians. She's kind of the crazy aunt that no one talked about. But James, the brother of Jesus, uses her as one of only two examples of commendable faith. And I have to think that he got that from his brother, Jesus, because Jesus was for her. Jesus was for people like Abraham, too. And here's the truth of this morning. Jesus is for you. If you're rich or poor, of good or ill reputation, he's for you if you grew up in the church or today's your first time here. Notice the building did not burn down when you walked in, right? He's for you. He's for you if you've got a PhD or a GED. He's for you if you're strung out or if you've got it all put together. He's for you if you've had uh, great relationships or disaster has been your middle name. He's for you if you've got an 825 credit score or whether you're in debt up to your eyeballs. He's for you no matter the color of your skin or the party of your politics. 
He's for you if you're a judge or a lawyer or whether you've spent your courtroom time on the other side of the table. He's for you. And he literally died to offer you unmerited favor, grace, relationship with God for all of eternity. And our response to that grace is to be people who are growing in active faith. So God, we take this moment recognizing that on our own, we're sinful. On our own, we have no preferred future. On our own, we're just a mess. But somewhere along the way, we recognized Jesus, we accepted Jesus, and now we live in a relationship with you. And so we take this piece of bread, this cup of juice, and we're reminded of a cross 2,000 years ago where the penalty for my sins, the penalty for each one of our sins, it was paid in full. And it wasn't just mercy. It was grace. You've given us more. And you've given us a ministry of reconciliation for people who don't know you yet. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to issue just a couple of uh, action steps or challenges for you this morning. And the first one, really simply, sometime this Memorial Day weekend, would you take the opportunity to reach out to someone who's been a hero of faith in your life? Pick up the phone, send a text, send an email, go next door. Maybe you're sitting right next to them right now and it's just an arm on, your, on their back for them to know that you have been a hero in my life. It's good for us to do that. Uh, those heroes weren't heroes because they were wanting you to say thank you. But it's not a bad thing for, for us to say thank you. And then secondly, consider the opportunity that you have to be a hero of faith in someone else's life. You know, whether we're here on Sunday mornings or out in our workplaces during the week, we have a responsibility and a role to play. Faith. And maybe you think, I'm no Abraham. I don't measure up to anyone on that list or anyone that I read about in the Bible. Can we just put that to rest? Here's the truth about some of the people that we call heroes of faith. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David, David had an affair and then covered it up with murder. Noah got drunk. Joah ran from God. Paul was complicit in murder of Christians. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossiper. Martha was a warrior. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was kind of moody. And Moses had issues speaking well. Zacchaeus was too short. And Lazarus was dead. <laughs> They're not as perfect as we make them out to be. Abraham was well beyond retirement age. And Rahab was known for all the wrong reasons. So whatever your baggage is, understand this. Your failure is not final. And you can still step into the role of hero in someone's life.
See, God doesn't call the equipped. He, he equips those who answer the call. And we want to help you plug into a few serve opportunities. Uh, here's just a few opportunities. If, if you are watching online from Broken Bow, man, we've got opportunities for you there with uh, our kids' ministry and in the booth on Sunday mornings. And then I'll go a little bit further, and I'll just tell you this. Like, you are still a brand-new church in that community. And the best way that we can advertise to that area is through you. And for them to hear how God is changing your life. And the same thing's true for us here. You don't see a lot of third city billboards around town. We'll do them when we need to. But you are the walking billboards. <laughs> you are the people that talk about how Jesus is changing your life. And we have some really specific things for you here too. We need workers in Kids City. Uh, we need people uh, who would even be willing to drive a bus to pick up kids from school uh, for our after-school program. We have something new here called the Garden of Hope. It's a big mud puddle out back right now, but typically it's a garden that's going to grow vegetables that will be used by ministries around town that give away food. And we need people who have green thumbs who will help look after that. We need people who will make coffee drinks at Story Coffee House. <laughs> we prefer that you have clean thumbs for that one. There's all kinds of opportunities for you to plug in, and I can't stress this one enough. We need more small group leaders. After a year of just being alone, people are ready to step back into community. And we need people who are willing to say, I don't know if I feel equipped for that, but I trust that God will equip me if I step out in faith. And so we're trying to do everything we can to make it really simple for you. There's a QR code on the screen. If you know how to work those, you can snap a picture. Uh, you can go onto our app. You can site. There's lots of ways that you can plug in to ways to serve. And if all of those are too high tech for you, you can walk in the front door. You can pick up the landline and call us and say, I am ready to grow in my faith. I am ready to do whatever I can to make his kingdom more important than mine. See, whether your next, whatever your faith step looks like, we want to help you because you just might become the lowercase hero, H, that points other people to King Jesus, our patron and our hero in all caps. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.